search. Each man different, living his own way, searching, discovering numero uno. Welcome everyone to episode number 49 of the Broken by Concept podcast. This is a long one coming. We have Cupcake here joining us, who was our support in 2018 Dials. Obviously, Curtis and I have talked a lot about our Dials adventures. Um, Andy helped us. We call him Andy. I'll be calling you Andy here, Cupcake, if that's all right. Actually, we'll just, yeah, cool. we'll, we'll just stick to you with Cupcake because Cupcake's Cupcake. Um, we uh, Cupcake here helped us go from back to back to back to back um, finalists. Uh, we represented O's. Two years is when Dahl was the most dominant team in OC that Curtis and I built. The roster started in 2017. Our support was Destiny. And then um, Cupcake became our support in 2018. So um, why this is a real special podcast is Cupcake is a, is a much more unique player in terms of the journey he became a pro player. And there's some things we're going to touch on here. But the biggest one is that Andy actually came from um, a competitive sporting background. Uh, tennis, I believe you had you got a scholarship. You went to America and lived in America for what was the the, the couple the of years that you were in? Um, it was it was a scholarship to New Mexico, which is like in the southwest of the states. But it's basically just um, Division One uh, college tennis. So yeah, what I want to start with with you, Andy, is sort of just the way that you became a pro player. And we're probably going to go in different sort of directions here because obviously there's Curtis and I's version of how we saw you in the scene, you know, before you joined mm-hmm. us, and then. Um, the big thing as well is what Cupcake slash Andy was. He supported Lost, who's currently the AD carry for TSM, for a whole year. So also worked with, um, before he went to, he went to North America the next year, was it 2019? Yeah, he left in yeah, 2019. He and he to was in the, Fox. yeah, he was in the academy team for the most part. And then got a couple games on the main roster, then back to the academy. And then he found TSM. But he was straight to NA after that year, yeah. So, yeah, so let's start with your, your tennis, Andy. And, and the biggest thing I want to talk about here is talking about how that sort of your mindset, sort of like what was your mindset to getting good at League of Legends? Like was League of Legends something you, like, you, you played and you said, I want to be a pro player? Or was it like you're playing on the side and you were just doing your tennis thing and you're like, oh, I can actually get good at this game and then I can be a pro player? Right. I think I was very, very late to actually playing League. So when I was growing up, I was, I was kind of a gamer, but I wasn't really allowed to game as much as I wanted or pretty much only like a few hours on the weekend because my parents were really strict. So when I was growing up, it was just tennis and maybe like a little bit of study. And then after I came back from the States, I didn't have tennis back here in New Zealand. It, and there was quite a big shift in like my day-to-day routine because in the States I was a full-time uh, tennis player and studying a degree. So it was like four hours of practice and a lot of uni. And then we would be traveling um, every weekend to like a different state to compete. So when I came back there, th- there was kind of like a competitive void that I felt I needed to fill and I didn't really know how. And I was also kind of in like a bad spot in my life. I wasn't doing too well. I was a bit depressed and I just started gaming like all day, every day. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't born from um, trying to pursue it in a competitive sense. I, I didn't even know it like really existed. I was just mm. playing a lot of league. And we then like to always led... talk about people sometimes playing leagues and escape. Like, would you say that was like sort yeah. of an escape for you? Okay. So 100%. it wasn't be, to become a pro player. It was just like, no, use no. as an escape, distract me from real, real world things. 
and yep, then yep. then you got good enough to be a pro player. Is that sort of like the way? Pretty much. Went? Yeah, exactly. So you didn't know an esports scene existed when you were playing. No, I had no idea. I was completely out of that whole realm. I didn't know anyone. I didn't. I mean, I watched like worlds and stuff. I didn't know if I had anything going on at all. Um, so I and was what year was this? New, what, yeah. what year was this? Twenty. 16 the start of no midway through 2016 is when i started playing pretty much i would so, say so what was your rank journey look like you like was it instant um, challenger diamond what did it look so, like okay i've like been playing since season one but just like an hour a week just on a laptop with like trackpad kind of stuff like nothing special but i i started to play a lot yeah middle of 2016 so the first time i grinded was actually in the states um when i had like a few weeks and i wasn't going to come back home for holiday and i had nothing to do so i'm like all right fuck it let's play some league and i had no expectations about where i how good i was or anything and i expected to just be like plat but then i i i went like d5 d3 d1 i was one tricking jack's top um and i was like oh shit this is really weird. This doesn't make any sense. Like, Wait, so this I, was I, in I, NA. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, NA is pretty good. I haven't really played this game before and I'm climbing a lot. So that's pretty encouraging. I thought that was pretty cool. And then I came back. Um, yeah. Picked it up in OS as well. Was that competitive? Like, what was the competitive aspect? Like, did you view League as, like, a, the same way you viewed the competition in your tennis? Because, <clears throat> I mean, if you're competing in a scholarship, that's serious competition, right? Like, you would have to, like, like how was, did you have that mindset? Were you just playing to play? Like, there must have been something yeah. there, Andy. What was that? I mean, the, the tennis was extremely stressful. There was a lot of pressure. I had, um, like, a really, uh, a, a big scholarship, 100% scholarship. So my performance really meant a lot uh in in every way and then with league yeah as i said i didn't really know anything about the competitive scene at all i just i was a gamer i played some games it was fun and i've always been a very competitive person so i was drawn to playing ranked instead of normals but the there wasn't an initial endeavor to make a career out of it if that makes sense so it wasn't until you came back to ocr that then you because you how did you get onto xl5 how did that all happen yeah um so i was getting like master or like low challenger and i was still playing full i didn't really have a role and i i kind of remember exactly what pushed me to choose a role i think it was some teams or players contacting me and i'm like oh shit you actually need to like play one role to get on a team <laughs> so i was like okay i guess i should choose one and then what? i think i <laughs> that's ridiculous andy like everything that you just said right there yeah. to me just makes no sense it's everything we say the opposite like, of on this podcast right okay because what's, what's fascinating here right is that this your journey okay like, i need to preface this before we go any further here because mm. I think Nathan missed a few things here because I think I, I want to preface this by saying that I truly believe in Oceania's history, um, there's a few like diamonds in the rough, right? We have, I would say we've kind of, to be honest with you, individually, I think Osus actually generated a lot of individually great players c- comparatively to our server base. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and so when I think back in, in the history of Os, um, is this is even before you were really in the scene. If I think back, um, 
players that I thought could have easily gone internationally and competed at the highest level, maybe Schoenfire in his prime, Swiffer in his prime, Radier in his prime, Fudge in his prime, um, obviously Lost and FBI in their prime, and then you. So yep. there's certain players that really spring out to me. Now, amongst those players, so there's like nine of them or 10 of them, let's say there's those 10 players that I believe that were just mm. leaps and bounds above their competitors. Destiny Rise, King... Mr. King, Lockdown, yes. No, I don't believe I don't believe <clears throat> Ray's Ray, okay, yeah, Ray's in very brief moments, but Destiny I never kind of view Destiny as like that wow player. For me anyway. That is the way I interpret him. Now when it came to Cupcake, out of all these players, I would like rank them. In my mind, it's like at their absolute prime is you and Shern. Comparatively wow. to everyone. And for me, I've always looked up to you as a player. And, and I just want to give a bit of context to the people listening to this podcast. Is that Cupcake wasn't just any player to me. Cupcake was like the elite of the elite at, at your prime. And I believe your prime was like twenty mid-2018. There was like times where I would just be, I would just be like, in the, like watching you, right? In the, in the mm. room. And I'd just be like, Wow. Like this guy is the package. Like he is the the he is the he communicates. He acts with intention. He is intense. He takes over. He makes game winning plays consistently. Game winning calls and game winning plays consistently. And King, who now you know obviously plays for Casino Academy, King never would have been the eighty carry he was if he did not have you in twenty eighteen. Because King, yes, he had the hands, but he didn't have the that intensity he didn't have that competitive drive, and I think you really, you, I, in ways that he probably I don't know if he said this to you, but I believe from watching it on the outside, King really leveled up his approach to the game because of that influence you had on him. That that very hyper competitive drive. We called it the bore mentality, right? The bore mentality. Yeah, no, he has brought that up to me. <laughs> right, so we'll, we'll probably touch yeah. on that at some point. In the, in, yeah, I want to touch this, on that later. We'll do a touch on yeah. that later, but but I just want to preface this because to, to to get the player that you were at that period of time, it, it doesn't make sense to me that even what in twenty sixteen you barely decided to roll and you just kind of stumbled into the scene. Like that just just doesn't. It's just crazy to me. It's just like how mm. there has to, your view of the game. That's why I really want to get into this. Is like how does mm. Nathan's alluding to it now? How did you go from just tennis? Right. Playing Phil, picking a random role, and then becoming the best. Like so, yeah. I think moving on from yeah. How, first of all, how did you pick a role? What did that mean to you? Um, and kind of yeah, walk us through that process. So honestly, picking support was really arbitrary. I was a full player, and you just get support most of the time. So I'm like, all right, why not? And as my career progressed, it it kind of dawned on me that maybe support wasn't the best suited um role for my personality i feel like i'm a personality that um is quite strong and knows what it wants and support is typically more a, a facilitative role and if my personality was on like a carry role i would know how to maximize resources and take over a game but then as my career progressed i'm like okay i think i have a unique personality for the support role and i can really like make my niche in the scene this way having um, like a really strong uh, communicating and like driven player in that role is really valuable. 
Um, so yeah, choosing the role was really very arbitrary and thinking back on it, I should have put more thought into it, but I wasn't approaching it initially with the, um, with my like future career and stuff in mind, as I was saying. If there were champions but, that yeah. like Bard and Alistair that never existed, and let's say you would have to play like Nami and like Jana and stuff, if that's what you would only have to play in support, would you think you still would have picked the role? Yeah, I think you can you can express skill and personality on every single type of champion, whether it's Tarm or Bard or Thresh or anything. Um, I actually, I one-tricked, no, I, I like two-tricked Jana and Nami when I first got to Challenger. Like, oh, I did not even know that. End of 2016. <laughs> yeah. Dude, like, I... I, whenever I think of Andy, like, like again, we've got to, to give a bit of color to Andy as a player, is that I truly believe the bottom, I, I would bet any amount of money that your time would have to be one of the best in the world at that time. Oh, it, shit. Tw- in 20, 2018, <laughs> that, that, 2017, 2018, your, your Pike, your Bard, your time were just like, it was unbelievable. I, and, I, I had a lot of confidence on so time. <laughs> you had no confidence on time no no no. i had a lot of confidence on yeah. time i I've, i think i probably talked about like dick sizes and dicks so much more when i played time versus any other champ that's how you know like, andy's confidence level you can big dick <laughs> i'm waving my dick around <laughs> so talk us through that because you know look a big part of my um when i coach like in in my community picking a champion is this unbelievably it is brought up way too much, and I don't know how familiar you are with my philosophy on that on the game. But I'm a big advocate of champion mastery. Like getting really, really good at one champion, and then expressing yourself through a champion matters more than than the the champ itself. So, like for like you said, you could play anyone could play Tom, but not many people mm. could have reached a level. Of, I mean. People weren't as good as Tom. Like Destiny, for example, would try and play Tom, but it just looks like a different champion because you got to such a high level with that champ that you discovered things mm. about it that no one else would. Same thing for Bard, same thing for Pike. Now, yeah. how did you, first of all, get the motor... Uh, okay, this is, is going to be a pretty big question, but first of all, how did you yeah. pick those champs to really hone in on? And then once you did pick them, what, you kind of intuitively were drawn towards champ mastery or what, what allowed you to... Why did you kind of hone in so much on champions <clears throat> rather than having like a massive champion ocean? Like what was it that attracted mm. you to really honing in? Yeah, okay. I think Bard and Pike would be in a little bit of a different category to Tom. So with Bard and Pike, I feel like those are one of the very few champions in the game that you can have full control over the outcome. If you play perfectly, you can like win the game for your team. And I think the meta has developed a little bit since then, and it's harder to solo carry. But Bard and Pike, like the, the execution ceiling is so incredibly high, and it was so challenging to try and master them that I just fell in love with them. I wanted to like put the, the biggest challenges possible on myself. Um, and another, maybe this goes hand in hand with like the, the high ceiling, but those are champs that if you mess up, you don't like die so imagine leona or nautilus or rel like you engage mess up you're in there you die but with bard and pike you can constantly have uptime even if you make a few small mistakes like you can you always have that escapability the mobility and you can just constantly pressure the map whereas with other champions it's more 
you, you're facilitating your carry to do something, or you need follow up, or it's like very one dimensional. So, so it's, you're it's, more, it's more like independent. It's yeah, it's independent and it's multi-dimensional. So I can I feel like I can just do so much, and the champions can do so much if you're good enough at it. So that's why I was drawn to those. So so what kept you playing it though? Because was it was it an so was it the what I always say to people is like you got to some it, it's some element you got to love the champ. You got to genuinely find the champion fun. I believe to a certain extent, but mm. I believe like champions get more fun the deeper you get into that champion mastery, like, uh, area. So so what was it that really motivated you to just keep taking things to the next level? Was it that you were finding new things about the champion, or was it that you just had so much fun that it just didn't matter? Or what was it that just kept you going? Because you had to play a shit ton of time and a shit ton of Bard and Pike to get yeah. to the level. Yeah, I can get to time later, but for Bard and Pike, it's, it was mostly the the high level of skill ceiling that just constantly kept me drawn to them and once i reached that initial window of like learning inting wasting skill shots testing limits when i could when i felt like i was those champions were part of me as as stupid as it sounds then i can really start to like explore like builds and other things so like typically when you see a professional game on bard you'll, you'll only see guardian and um domination is that the red tree yeah um but w- once i got comfortable with like how each rune feels on bard i know when it's best to take phase rush or electrocute or predator or like when to mix and match like the secondary runes and that felt really fun i felt like i was a bit of like a little scientist you know just running my experiments um and that that kept it fresh and yeah every game is just those those champs are just so challenging so it's so- it's always a lot of fun you just said something there that I have to kind of rewind and touch on there. I don't know if you caught it as well, Nathan. Notice how the way... So, what? okay, what my intention when talking to you, one of the big things I want to, I want to find out is <clears throat> there are certain players or traits of pro players that, um, that make them reach limits that other people would otherwise kind of cap out at or maybe... Um, overlook or areas that would just overlook and one of the the way you said that sentence before you see, you see sorry the way you said that sentence before you said i was looking at like if i missed a skill shot like you were trying you were intuitively viewing that as a big mistake now what's super interesting is that when i when i coach people a lot of the time i'll have to overemphasize how important that one singular mistake is mm. i'm like you just missed this skill shot if you hit this skill mm-hmm. shot, this lane is... You're playing a different game different, of League of Legends. You're, you're playing yeah. a different game of League of Legends. And now, what you just said there is that you intuitively understood early on in the process that a singular missed skill shot or a singular missed ability can be the difference between winning or losing a lane or, or it has a lot of impact yeah. over the game. Now, do you think in any way, shape, or form this was came from tennis or your competitive background or your high standard to the way you approach tennis. Right. I think it is, it is a personality trait. I think it's like sensitivity to mistakes or like having an emotional reaction to like imperfection. So I think it's in general, just a perfectionist trait that what, whatever competitive um, endeavor I'm in, I will avoid mistakes like the plague and I will try to be the best that I possibly can. 
So in that way, I don't I don't see myself as a tennis player. I don't see myself as a League of Legends player. I see myself as like a, a competitor that has the skill set to rise to the top of any hierarchy, like competitive hierarchy that I put myself in. And maybe that's like a bit arrogant or something, but that, that confidence definitely helps. And where does that come from, though, Andy? Did that come from tennis? Where did that come from? Um, you just born uh, that uh, way? <laughs> so, um, I mean, I was very competitive and successful in tennis, but I thought I was a tennis player. I thought I was, um, you know, I started at an early age. Maybe I had some talent for tennis as well, so I was lucky. But then once um, the the next chapter in my life with League of Legends came around, I was like, oh, shit, I can't just be a tennis player. There has to be an explanation for, like, how these different chapters of my life are interacting. So, yeah, I, I, I always reflect on my life and myself, and I try to be as critical as I can. And it just made the most sense to me that the, the, there is a, a common skill set that allows success in both of these endeavors um and yeah i I would say being a a competitor and knowing Mm -hmm. how to improve at any skill makes sense to me at least it's like comes natural to you again it's the way you did say that and goes is right it's like you you like you do you think it's obvious andy i did it as well it's like when you make it like a mistake like a mechanical mistake or you misplay that skirmish like, in my mm-hmm. head against, like, it's a different game I'm playing in League of Legends. Like, especially in League of Legends, how snowball it is. I don't know if tennis is exactly that snowball because you can, like, reset, you know, point, right? Well, the the, the score carries over. So, okay. if yeah. you That's fall right. behind... That's right. So, it is snowball, yeah, I guess, in a way, because it's like, oh, if you get that set, then it's like, you're close. But yeah. I would say there's a mental... Surely there's a mental thing in there, tennis. But... There's, yeah. There's a lot of uh, mental and, like, momentum in, in tennis. Because each point is completely different and isolated from the previous point, which is different to like game states in League of Legends, right? Um, so League was definitely there. There are so many differences between League and tennis, but so many similarities at the same time. Done a lot of reflecting, but um, yeah, yeah. Because again, yeah. I, I love I love the way that again he said it. It's like he's so obvious. It's like oh, you know, like I missed it's the like intuitive. shot. It's intuitive, but again, the, I yeah. Curtis, I agree with you. Like I coach. Like I've done thousands of reviews, right? Coached hundreds of people. And again, they would never talk about it. Like, like I just heard Andy talk about it there, you know, which is interesting. It's so obvious, but like I try to emphasize it. And I always think I do a terrible job at doing that, you know, because I'm like, like, oh, it's it's, it's game losing. Like, come on, you know, it's like, (laughs) like there's no point reviewing the rest of the game. And and I've got like a, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's overlapped into your community as well, because the end of review mindset, right? It's like, review, just yeah. end of review, just stop the game, okay? You know, and like, it, it can be toxic in a way. And, and I've, I've dealt with many students that it is toxic, where it's like, you can go, I think you can go to it too far, where it's like, uh, let's say the perfectionist mindset, this is what I struggled with all last year when I was stuck in Diamond, is that if I didn't play perfectly, I would like give up. Because I was like, well, I don't deserve to win this game anyway. But it seemed like yeah. you didn't have that, Andy. But did you understand what I'm saying, how you can go too far? But I think you never went too far. It's, it's, it is very easy to go too far. And I think too far is when you cross the line between constructive and destructive criticism. If you constructively criticize all of your mistakes, I believe there's no upper limit. You can be like, I should have done this better. This is what I yeah. could have done specifically. But if you start saying like, I fucking suck. This game sucks. What am I doing? I should just quit. Like <laughs> that's obviously destructive, right? And then you mm. should probably assess how you're 
approaching everything. But, but um, you were but, so interesting. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but like just uh, Andy, like I, it's so funny because I'm getting overwhelmed with a lot of memories because like <laughs> that, that whole that whole look. I, I don't know if you feel the same, but it's it, you kind of just forget what you went through, kind of like when you go through, even when you think back to 2017, 2018, like those splits. Like, mm. A lot happens in a very short period of time. It's like ten so years. You, yeah, like, it feels like, a, a split feels like for ages, but, like, when you look back, it's just, like, a bunch of events that are jam-packed into a very short period of time. And I, I remember vividly mm. the way you conducted reviews. And, and, again, this kind of ties back to something that you, you felt was normal, but it's just not. It was, like, mm. you get so worked up about, why are we just not getting pressure here? Like, why? <laughs> why that one wave. It's, like, one wave. But it's, like, mm. why, are they, why are they pressuring us here? Like just even mm. if if you feel pressured, every single thing in the game you question it. It's like if they're pressuring me, is like how mm. can I either prevent that, or how can I be the one pressuring them? That's like when I view you. Yeah. Why this is why again I thought you were so so far ahead of every pro player I had ever seen, and at your peak, I just think it was just unbelievably just so far ahead. It was just this this drive and obsession it was a, it was an obsession about not giving mm. pressure or having pressure and threat right no screw them they they're not allowed to do this that's illegal mm. you know that that mentality mm. and and i think this carried on to yeah, like you said it is an element of perfectionism but you i think this in combination with your ability to stay focused throughout a game is what made you so dangerous now while we're on this topic, I think what we should do is kind of... I want you to kind of outline or have a crack at, um, I guess, taking apart your your mentality within a game. Because what was so impressive when I was in comps, something disastrous would happen. But I would see you. You have like this like... You have this like mode where you're just, you're just in it. You're just... Nothing can get in your way. How do you... When something unfortunate happens in a game, how do you let it go? What is your what is your process of letting something go, moving on, getting getting into the next thing? How, what, what do you do? Right for you, <clears throat> um, yeah. I think maybe it's a misconception that some people just don't have like emotional reactions to like certain situations. I think everyone does, and we're all human. But I just. I just really want to win and I can recognize that emotions get in the way of that. So if I die and then I have like a strong emotional reaction to it, I'm like, fuck, that was so bad. And what are you doing? Then I'm like, no, you got to shut up and you got to be like communicating about what's next and you got to make sure it doesn't happen next time and stuff like that. So it's how I do control emotions. I would say I recognize them as soon as they come up and I firmly believe that emotions to are it's pretty thin ice when you combine emotions with competition or trying to do anything at the highest level like sometimes it can help a lot of times it doesn't and i think just having that like cool calm collected almost cold drive goes a long way and that's how i try to conduct myself does that make sense was it a win at all cost mentality is that what you're, you're talking about yeah yeah i would say so there's it's it doesn't even feel like it's a, a conscious decision between two things. It's like there's there's no other option. I have to I have to do what's necessary to win and I figure out And you knew that if is... you're emotional about a play, that equals not winning as much. 
So you have to... Yeah, it'll, it'll lead to, to, like, bad game states, missed opportunities, lack of pressure. So if I just recognize it and just stick to the stick focus and, like, disciplined as much as possible, then that'll be the highest chance to win. You said before, Andy, where um, you you like to experiment with things, even, like, builds and stuff like that. Obviously, mm. there's, like, a really big – everyone loves talking about builds and, like, optimization and stuff. When you were when you were climbing League of Legends, did you, like, copy other, like, Jack's plays or did you just be like, oh, this build works for me? Like, what was your, what was your mindset in terms of runes <laughs> and items and stuff? I, I didn't know any pro players. I didn't know any League websites. I just – kind of built what felt good i think i can't really remember it was really long ago i can't even remember like what the the items or like what websites were up or anything but it, i i wasn't like active in the the league scene it was just like i had a You're few weeks playing. break from tennis and uni and i just like played played league you know so yeah so what's super interesting nathan i don't know if you picked up on this as well is that i would say yes there's an obvious element of you had this inherent sense of self-confidence that you could improve at something mm. because you were in that based off your experiences growing up you were in a competitive environment you knew how to get better at something whether it was yep. actively or just intuitively but also there's a sense of like you weren't really comparing yourself to anyone you, you've always been this outlier it's like you've never it's like i am cupcake this is the way i play the game and you completely detached yourself from, oh, that's how that person plays Bard, or that's how mm. that person, that's what champion that guy plays. Or um, So walk us through, why was that never in the realm? Did it ever cross your mind? Did you ever, like, you never compared your um, rank to someone else? Or what, 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 how, did the, how did you kind of view yourself in relation to your counterparts as you were getting better and, and things like that? Even in the pro, when you were at the pro level as well, what prevented you yeah, from going yeah. down that rabbit hole? Mm. I just something intuitive inside me made me recognize that that's just not the best way to produce skill or results. I think it snippers of this conversation floats around with like different regions. Like if like American players compare themselves to Korean players or like the Chinese style, and they try to adopt it. It's never the same. Um, it, it was kind of similar for me in tennis as well. Like with tennis players, they have, their technique, their style, and I just wanted to do what I did best. And I guess that translated to league as well. Um, there, there's not like, there wasn't a, a big life-changing thought process or decision. It's just never something that I've done and I don't think people should do it. Yeah. I'm not really sure on that one, but... I mean, I never I, compared myself. Yeah. When, when I first got ranked to Challenger... I literally was, I mean, I had the exact same mindset as I was just playing. I I never copied any build. I came up with the whole UDA. I mean, the game's changed to yeah. a point where you probably do need to be doing opt. There's, there's, you should be looking up information. You know, that's what, that's what I think the, the game's at now. But it was purely just playing to just really hard on your mistakes and mm. doing your own thing in zero. I had no one to compare to. And I think that was a huge advantage that I had over other players because yeah. I was not compared myself to anyone else in the scene. And, and, and this is why I love Andy's story. And, you know, I sort of like alluded at the beginning is that Andy was never in the social circles to like the social circles when you're climbing and you're, you're like, you're, you're becoming like a player. Like you get trapped in like these circles that are almost always from my experience negative. Okay. Especially when you're around like, 
you know, egotistical 16, 17, 18-year-olds, like especially at the time, like the OC. Obviously, I, I became a player way before you did, um, Andy, in, you know, 2013. Mm. 20, you, were, you were in America at that time or whatever. Yep. But I felt like that was such a huge advantage that you had as well. Going from XL5 randomly to supporting Lost into a top two team. and But you were able to completely deal with it. And it's like you never really cared about and it, it, sound, it didn't even seem like you really cared. I mean, you obviously wanted to beat us a lot because we are talking a lot of shit and dials when you were versing <laughs> us in, in Legacy. Yeah, 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 for sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, I, I, I remember you came in. I, I mean, I always, obviously, the, obviously, the talk of it when you joined Legacy, it was like you're just getting carried by Lost, right? But then you found more and more, it's like, holy shit, Cupcake's like pulling his weight. And did you ever feel the pressure playing with someone like Lost when you first joined that Legacy roster? Because you go, you go from playing with some academy, some random amateur player... <clears throat> to straight into legacy which was top two that's that split in 2017. no i definitely didn't feel any pressure to play with certain players i just put a lot of pressure on myself to improve because the, the few first the first few weeks of when i was scrimming i was inting non-stop and Is this i legacy? was like yeah so yeah. like i had I was just a solo queue player and I had a lot of habits that got punished and I ha I just kept on inting and inting until I figured out what I can and can't do. And then once I found like that balance, then I can pressure the map and I can not int, which is like a, a pretty decent spot to be in. So that's but, what you're always trying to find is like that middle ground. It's like not int, but pressure map. Play as high pressure as you humanly can is kind of my motto in in life and tennis and league <laughs> sounds weird to say in life in this situation but yeah be be proactive and know your limits perfectly and play on the upper edge of it did you as, figure that out as yourself closely as you can andy or did you was was lost really helpful in your development there i mean who else was on that roster uh who was the mid laner tallywhacker carbon clear lost yeah that's right um honestly i think lost had really good hands but um, he was still really young and he didn't have much um, macro knowledge at that stage. So I wouldn't necessarily say he helped develop any like important areas. He just, he was like very reliable and he was obviously very talented, which gave me more like comfort and confidence to like worry about my play, which is really important. If I start to get caught up in like my teammates making a lot of mistakes, then that sometimes impacts my own gameplay, which is something I really try to avoid. But obviously, if my teammates are performing really well, then I can really hone in on what I want to do best. So it was really good having such a talented and good ADC for sure. But I, I don't necessarily see him as like a pivotal point in my career or anything. And maybe, again, that's just my personality that I, I don't see anyone like leading up to where I am or like at my peak that I wouldn't have made it without them. I kind of have that self-belief that you I, I know what I do. And yeah, yeah. So obviously like I, I value like playing with players and um, sharing experiences with them. But I also have that belief in myself that I, I got here from myself and not being carried by someone. So I'm very interested, Andy, to... Hear your thoughts on solo queue. 
Because you, again, defy a lot of my Nathan as well. I'll, I'll take on how a player gets good and how, they, how, how they're able to reliably perform. And for us, um, I think solo queue is just so important. But you've never been, even when we were doing very well in 2018, you were never that like grind solo queue, you know, take solo queue like super, super seriously, like get rank one. And that like, uh, you never kind of, you had your own way of being confident or developing your chair mastery and honing your skills. So walk me through your take on solo queue overall, even now. I mean, it might've changed from what it was then, but like, right. you walk me through. So yeah, I can start in 2017. Um, I came from solo queue. I was playing a lot of solo queue. 2017, I still played a lot of solo queue. And then we had a Korean boot camp midway through the year. And then I started playing like 10 to 15 hours a day over in Korea. I was absolutely loving it. The level was so high. This is actually how I started wow. to play. Um, and I was solo queue. You can only play champions that you can express skill or gap hard and you don't rely on your teammates. And that's, in my opinion, that's enchanters. Like you can really express a lot of skill and dominate lanes with Nami and Jana, even though it's like, oh, press E. That's definitely not how it works. Um, but yeah, so in Korea, I felt comfortable to pick champs like Braum, like Tam, like Leon and Nautilus, and um, really have like a, a full team performance. And it felt so enlightening like a huge weight off my chest like holy shit this is so enjoyable i'm playing league this is five versus five high level i know my teammates my ad carry and solo queue he's going to pop off and i'm going to do what i can to help him and it just doesn't happen in os at all even in 2017 so that was so much fun and i spammed a lot of time and that's how i got good at him just spamming him in korea and then i came back to os and i just i felt like there was almost no value in playing it and it's like a it's a deep feeling that i can't really like i know all the arguments for why solo queue is good but if i don't feel it's valuable like well what can i do about it so at that stage <clears throat> solo queue in my mind transitioned from like being important to like two main reasons like picking up new champs and learning them and stroking your ego like, if you feel like you're doing shit, if you feel like you're at the bottom of the ladder, just, you know, mentally detach yourself from your team and get rank one. Like, oh, yeah, now you're the shit again, you know? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think solo queue is good in O's for many things. And the, the quality has, like, gotten lower. And that's not something that you want to see, like, as you're trying to progress a career. The, the queue times are long. Um, you don't, well, I feel like I, I haven't really learned anything from solo queue in a long time. And yeah, going from Korea to OS was definitely a, a big shift that I started to play a lot less. But another thing to keep in mind is when we were full-time scrimming on Direwolves, we would play like six games a day. And I, I really fully invested into every single minute while I tried to for as much as I can. I, I try to stay alert and focused and disciplined every single minute of the game. If someone was starting to tilt, I would get angry and be like, stop wasting my fucking time, you know? And same in review, like we're reviewing, let's review, let's get something out of it. And by the end of the day, I was just so fucking exhausted that I just, I needed to play Fortnite. I needed to chill out, man, you know? 
and I, I could log into solo queue so that my teammates feel better about me playing solo queue so I could stroke my ego, but I just, I didn't really see value in it. So um, I, I didn't really do it. And I think, yeah, in the whole of 2018, I probably had like a hundred solo queue games a whole year, which is like ridiculously low. It's a little bit embarrassing, but the one time I spammed it was when I wanted to pick up Pike. And I think I did that successfully. I had a goal. I didn't care about my teammates or the game result. I really wanted to push limits and figure out how to play this champ as well as I can. And I did that as best as I can. And then that's kind of what I used solo queue for. Do you think if you're playing another role, Andy, you would have, you would be required to play more solo queue? Is it, do you think this might just be a support thing? Or do you think if you were no. a mid laner or a top laner, you, you would be the same? you think that 100 solo queue games? Um, I think, I, I yeah, I haven't really met other pro players who don't want or don't need or don't respect solo queue as much as I do. I think it's important for picking up champs um, and that, that could be for any role. But I think another thing is if you... If your performance is lacking, well, when my performance is lacking, I get really angry at myself and I want to improve it. And if, if that's through solo queue, if that's through wads, then that's what it's going to be. Yeah. I just don't like the, the aimless grinding and the without any direction. Is yeah, it, is it um, in terms so of... It is unique. And that's the thing. I've always been trying to work out, um, you know, Cupcake, especially that 2018, just that, just the, the, um, just compared to other players, like a solid well, game. At the end of the day, the scrim schedule is pretty intense, right? But, but it, even during the middle and the off season, Andy, Cupcake, you didn't really play that much as well. But again, does it just come down to you just think that there just really is no value from solo queue? If there was value, what is it? It's just confidence, Nathan. It's just confidence because look, it's confidence. Because think about this. Andy, in my experience, is the only player that had confidence that didn't come well, through being high ranked yeah, in solo queue. It didn't come, yeah, it didn't come through there because because think about this. Most players, you know this, Andy, league or OS, especially OS, um, players are incredibly insecure about their, <laughs> about their rank and what, pe- what, what other people think about them, right? What other people think about them and what other people, how they view their solo queue performance. That's like, that's just embedded in, in the O's culture, right? Now, I mean, especially back then, right? 2017, yeah. 2018. And, but your confidence actually came within, from within, and it came from your belief and your confidence in your champion's identity. Like, I feel like this all ties back to a few things in my eye. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Andy. Mm-hmm. One, you had an incredibly clear view of your champion's identities. The champions that you did play, when you, I remember in 27, you were incredibly good at Braum, you were very good at Zyra, um, and, and obviously the Bard. Mm-hmm. But you thought about them, the champion's identity, and, and the way they operated in laning phase, so to, to such a deep and intuitive level that you didn't have to play Bard v X, Braum versus X, Braum versus Y, a bunch of a bunch of times because you were actually understanding why the things were working or why they didn't work. So, for example, I think a lot of players in league when they play picking up Braum, 
they think they think of it at like super surface level. It's like, okay, Braun versus time. You can do this. You can't do this. It's like very logical. But because you like really embrace the champion, you, and you can maybe elaborate on this, you, you really try to become the champion in the game in, in a way. <laughs> I, I feel as though yeah. you just understood the champion at such a deep level that you didn't have to play the same amount of games to get the same effect in terms of behavior in a game. I don't know, maybe I'm reading in too deep to this, but there has because it, it just there has to be mm. some thing that you've done during the time that you did play the champion that would make up for the loss the less games. There has to right. be. There probably is an element of that. I've always prided myself on game knowledge and just like knowledge about matchups in general, just not specifically like finger micro, you know? Um, so if I really understood what a champion does and what another champion does, I don't need to play 100 games of that matchup um, to get, get it down, I guess. But <clears throat> another big factor is... Honestly, how seriously and how disciplined I was in scrims and how much thought I put into matchups and reviews and everything, that it felt like the the time spent there was so valuable and so exhausting that it made up for hundreds and hundreds of solo queue games of just like autopilot brain dead, play a bunch of matchups. Um, so it felt like I was at work um with the scrims and i really put my all into it and then at night it's like i need to chill out man and <clears throat> yeah i try to i try to really have um those two areas as clear as possible and obviously there was a like a bit of issue with that with the team with teammates like why aren't you playing solo key bro and then I, I don't know how to explain like i don't want to i'm fucking tired i i tried really hard <laughs> um so yeah a little bit of what you said, but a lot was put into mm. how seriously I took the scrims and how sensitive I was to wasting time, which is just something that's been present in my life in general. Like I hate wasting time and I want something to come out of everything that I do for the most part. But I, I will say that <clears throat> if I was a pro player and there was just no competitive structure, there was no scrims, no gaming houses, I would probably be playing a lot more solo queue. Um, but yeah. Okay. Now, now look, I want to talk about the boar mentality. Where does that, where did that come from? Andy, the wild <laughs> boar mentality. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I, I think it's just the, it, it kind of became my identity through the, the energy that I brought to the team and just who I was as a person about being really confident having a strong direction um, and it really helped me to compete when I pictured the rift as like an arena and they were stuck in the ring with me and I was going to fight them and they know it and I know it and what are you going to do about it? Um, it's, it's something that that's helped a lot. Like whenever it's just, just like something arbitrary, let's say you're doing um, you're breaking the ice uh, in like a uni lecture, you know, you stand up, you say your name. <clears throat> what I think is like everyone else is so shit scared of what other, what like everyone else thinks of them. Like if you embrace that, like you're shit scared, you're shit scared. Like I, I, I don't really care anymore. Then it's like, okay, I can do anything with confidence. So let's say there's like an important match coming on. It's, there's a lot on the line. I know that, but it's like, 
you know there's a lot on the line and I'm going to deal with it better than you do. So fucking watch out. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like where it was born. And I felt like a- adopting like a wild animal mentality in game. Like I'm just going to relentlessly attack and you know I'm going to do it. So it just set this like confidence within me from the start that like I just kind of ran with, I guess. When you, we, we had someone write into us in Nathan's mailbag saying they were playing solo queue and then they versed some like matchup or something and they started losing or something weird happened in the game and they got so angry, they started playing better. And we literally said on the podcast, we had a player <laughs> like that, Cupcake Andy, he was yeah. better as a player when he was angry, when he was versing us, when he you wanted to beat us in Dark yeah. Horse and Legacy. Yeah. That yeah. bad. <clears throat> Tell us, where do you go in your mind there? Why Why <laughs> do you play better? Like, would you say, is that an emotional response? Like, where does it come from? Yeah. Because you were saying before that you think it's not, you think that emotion being emotional in leagues not, you got to control yeah, your emotions. I don't right? know. So how does this work? I think there are like really strong principles and morals that I stand by. And one of the first and foremost ones is mutual respect. And if I feel like there's not mutual respect, then I get really fucking pissed off. Um, (laughs) That happened in tennis as well. If someone's like trying to, if someone's like cheating, you can do that in tennis. You can't really do it in league. If someone's cheating, I'm like, I'm going to fucking beat you and you better learn respect. (laughs) That was kind of the approach that I had. Teach them a lesson. It's like teach them a lesson. Yeah. So yeah, when I versed you guys in 2017, I'm like, these guys need to learn a fucking lesson. Like shut up and play the game. (laughs) <laughs> and obviously that's that was very emotional um i can't 100 percent put it as to why that emotion is better than like some other emotions for performance it's, it's more it just like i actually don't know i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that either but um well, yeah I think, look i think what it was man is that you um you tapped into something that allowed you to maintain inten- like just a, a higher average intensity. Because I think the problem with anger, right, most of the time is what I believe is that it's a spike. So it's like a, it's just like one big spike of anger, and you like it's like it, it, and and if you let it kind of take over you, and and you have this giant spike of energy, it doesn't really get you anywhere because league is a is a constant league. You have to be on for a very long period of time, there is no there is no break. And I think what you managed to do is the way you framed your your anger, it wasn't in a sense of, oh, I'm gonna just get, let it out right now. It's, okay, embrace the anger and let's just, let's just raise my entire intensity by that, the extra notch and just like leave it here. I'm just gonna idle on 110% intensity. I'm just gonna idle here and sit here and I'm gonna be on top of you. So I think what it was that you didn't, view it as I just need a bit of extra energy, a bit of extra anger, which people could let it can take full control of them. No, it's like you, you kind of, yeah, t- took control of it. Um, I don't know if like, did you ever watch Naruto? No, I've never watched anime. Right. Okay. Okay. No point talking about it then, but people in the, in the, um, podcast who watch Naruto, it's kind of like how Naruto is like the, the main character of this anime, right? Where he like has this giant demon inside of him. But if he lets the the demon take full control of him, he loses control and then he can't manage it. Manage it, it goes out of control. But if he like kind of builds, he has like a healthy relationship with that anger in a way. He can kind of manage it huh. and control it, and then he, he actually uses it to, um, you know, you know, be really really powerful. 
in a way. I yeah, that's, really... that's a it's an interesting concept. Maybe there is something like that. <clears throat> Maybe it's that wild boar that I have a intimate relationship with, and I need to negotiate like its boundaries and stuff. Yeah, with yeah, me. literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, spot on. Look, I, I think that um, one thing I would love to dive into here is um. Obviously, you're not the the same player or person you were in 2018. Times times have changed, and now that you've kind of I know now you've been delving into a little bit of coaching. You, you still currently play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, upon reflection, looking back on your time in 2017, 2018, that's when you were kind of really a full time pro player. You weren't studying, doing anything else. Were there, mm-hmm. were there things you would have changed in your approach or, or, or things that you would have done differently based on what you know now? I think if I could have gone in with the knowledge of how strong and abrasive my personality can be and how weak and sheltered a lot of personalities in the esports scene are, that would have helped a lot. Um, I just kind of came in all guns blazing and <clears throat> you really need to have mutual trust and communication with your teammates to really become better as a team. And I came from a, like an individual sport, no teammates, like you take full responsibility for everything that happens. And I went straight into League of Legends. So <clears throat> there was definitely a bit of an adjustment period as far as that went. Um, but yeah, I, I think... I, I'm happy with how I approached competing and improving. Just being mindful of like what my personality brings to a dynamic earlier on would have been pretty helpful, I would say. Right. And and, and say from now playing with uh plays online <coughs> or gaming house anymore, how has that mm. altered things for you? How how has that been working yeah, for you? It's it's honestly a little bit frustrating. I I feel like I can't reach the level that I reached when I was full-time in a gaming house. And I know my skill and my motivation is still the same. I just can't express it with this, like, um, yeah, remote play, worse scrim times and everything. So it, it's definitely frustrating. And <clears throat> I still approach competition and the game the same. It's just harder to get on the same page and harder to become a good team, which is the main frustration. Um, there's a lot of directions you want to go in here, Nathan. Um, I don't want to steal the show from me. Is there anything immediately that you had? Cause I, I could go on forever here. Um, sort of just wrapping up 2018 dials. Why do you, what do you think made us so good? Andy? Um, I think first and foremost, there is a baseline level of talent that you need. And I think we met that across the board. So that means that we could work on other aspects, which were important. Um, obviously you guys had a very successful 2017. Um, but I think I did bring some things into the dynamic that helped. And I think overall we had a lot of, um respect for each other as players and we trusted each other even if we weren't like really good friends out of the game and there was like quite a lot of or quite a few instances of like toxic environments when it came to game time and scrim time um we didn't waste time and we trusted and respected each other and we we worked towards a common goal 
which was good. And apart from that, we did have talented players and useful personalities to bring about success. Um, yeah, that, those would probably be my first thoughts. I'm not sure if you guys have anything because you were obviously on that team as well. Look, I, I, I think you're right. I think when, it, when <clears throat> push came to shove, everyone wanted to win. So we were able to leave the bullshit aside. There was a lot of bullshit. We, like yep. you said, there was times where we had an incredibly toxic environment, elitist environment and all that shit. And we, when we were there at the studio, when we had to perform, everyone just wanted to win. And, and look, I think that as well, in many ways, Schoenfire and you had this really weird special connection, I kind of feel like. You guys... So, Shern is the complete opposite to you in so many ways. Yeah. Right? <laughs> he is. Yeah. Like, uh, opposites attract, right? Yeah, but I think what, 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 what I loved about that dynamic between you and Shern is that there was so much mutual respect when it came to just sheer performance hmm. that I think both of your energies, you guys, in my eyes, were like the two pillars of the team. You know, it was the, it was hmm. the Shern fire on one side and then there was the Andy on the other side. And it felt like because you you guys, like you said, had that mutual respect, it kind of just bound the team together. It's like, okay, if these two guys, they're so good, and if these guys can actually work together and play well, because again, jungle support, you guys were always kind of as well talking mm -hmm. about the game and on the map together and trying to push the pace of the game forward. And you guys were very aligned on that. I think both, even though your approach to competing was different and the way you brought about good quality League of Legends was different. When you were mm. in the game, you had the same... You were aligned on what sort of game you wanted to play. Shurn Fire was that very high pressure, <clears throat> don't want to lose a single objective, take every single fight if it's a good one, in, in the sense of like always pushing limits in a way. And you really resonated with that. And I think that... Um, I think what we managed to do, and I think I did that quite well, as one thing, the one thing I did well that year was alignment. I think we actually did have a very strong sense of alignment with the way we wanted to play the game, the way we wanted to draft, and the way you guys saw getting a lead and translating it. Um, and I think when I look nowadays yeah. at teams, they just don't have an identity. They don't. The, the players don't have a strong enough identity, and the way they view the game is not clear enough in terms of how they want to win a game. And you can't just have one player like that. You need to have multiple players in a game <coughs> that have a really, really strong way of viewing the game and have a clear identity. That's who you build the core foundation of the game. Because we knew when it came to draft, Shurnfire wanted this, you wanted this, and you were okay to make sacrifices as well. But like, we know what you wanted. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I yeah. said that sense of alignment and, and common goal within the game was super powerful. And that's what differentiated us. It, was, it wasn't yeah. even the individual play, really. Yeah, I agree, actually. It's, yeah, it's, it's that personality of like, knowing what you want and once you have players that know what they want if you can be emotionally mature enough to negotiate that and come out with like yeah. the universal strategy or approach to the game you're gonna go far but if you just have five passive players who are like oh, i don't really know what i want i'll help you like nothing's gonna get done right um and i think we both strongly knew what we thought was high pressure or favorable game states and if they didn't happen, we questioned it. And we both um, were very open to giving and receiving feedback for the most part, I would say. 
so yeah in terms of like having a direction that was very important um and working towards a common goal we, we definitely um got aligned and i think you did a, a great job like you said on like getting everyone um on the same page because i think for for the reviews for for the specific gameplay um correct me if i'm wrong but i think it was mostly me and shin talking about end game game states pressure all of that stuff but outside of that those strong personalities really needed to come together to produce results and that's that's what you guys ended up helping with for sure yeah, we definitely had a very unique. We had a very unique team because <laughs> yeah, we did. Very, very For unique sure. team. Do you, yeah. do you actually believe that that was the strongest OS roster? Like, we didn't um, really get to show it, right? Because of the whole fucking Shern fire fiasco at the end of twenty eighteen. But do you truly believe that was the strongest OS roster? Um, or not? I I do believe so. I I'm wondering if you ask if you were to ask the OPL champions of every consecutive year that they would say the exact same thing. So, um, I know in 2019, they, the Mammoth squad believed that they were the strongest OS roster, but I honestly do believe that we were the strongest and I, I try to be aware of like biases or like rose tinted glasses and shit, <laughs> but I, I think we were pretty good. We had, we were undefeated the whole year, right? Yeah. That's right. Um, and, and like, yeah, so, and it, it felt like we were untouchable, at least in OS at that stage um so i would say so but uh it's not like definitive it, it can't be and maybe other rosters would disagree <laughs> so look i'm gonna ask a personal bit of a personal question here because people probably in the podcast say if, if, if you were so good how come you didn't get it imported like destiny king yeah sharon all of you so walk us through your you know we we, we won well, we went to world we won um Oris that whole entire year end of 2018 you had a few decisions to make walk us through your series of what happened um <clears throat> honestly it felt like i had nothing to work towards anymore it was pretty depressing it felt like i reached the pinnacle in os that year and the next best thing would be just to do it all again and even that would be really hard if players are leaving and shit so it's like okay I felt stagnated. I didn't have something to challenge myself with and to strive for. And this was a year where there were no imports going overseas at all. I think the only player that had gone overseas at that stage was lost. And I was of the mentality that maybe insanely mechanically gifted ADC and mid players could potentially get picked up. And those weren't my first of all the support you can't really um express that nearly as well as adc and mid in my opinion and secondly that's i've never been the player to just mechanically shut on all of my opponents so i felt like i i, I believed that i was good enough to go overseas but i just felt a bit disheartened that i wouldn't be able to showcase my skill set to players i didn't really have like connections you, you would get overseas. the opportunity you wouldn't get no the i didn't think i would get the opportunity yeah, I, I straight up thought that I wasn't going to get picked up and maybe only insanely talented young ADC and mid players could go overseas. And it's like, okay, what do I do? Like, I I just, yeah, bottom line, I felt stagnated, nothing to reach for. And that was kind yeah. of depressing. 
Yeah. So then you moved on to your coaching career, Andy, in, in 2019. You came back, was it 2019 or was it 2020? <clears throat> um, yeah, so initially the main goal was to finish up my uni degree and I didn't have any plans to play or coach, but I was approached by an org and they said, yo, do you want to coach? I'm like, oh, shit, okay. Maybe this is a, a cool way to like keep my foot in the esports door because you know you never know what could happen down the road i was still passionate about league and competition i just didn't know how to progress and express myself anymore if that makes sense um so yeah then i just was full-time uni and coaching remotely and that was a way to not only like pay some bills but to stay involved with something that i love which is league and competition but it just felt like <clears throat> coaching wasn't the role for me, especially remotely. I felt like my, I just, I would rather do things myself than coach. I think I don't have enough patience to like full-time help someone else do something if I feel like they should just do it better, you know? Um, so that's definitely like a, a blaring weakness in my personality. I wasn't, I wasn't well-suited enough to coaching, but I tried as best as I could um, to be a good coach. And what it's, it's another. You? Sorry, go on, Andy. What um, you saying? Another aspect of coaching that I wasn't attracted to at all was like number crunching and analysis and stuff like that. I didn't want to smash out 400 spreadsheets. I, I'm more of like a. I wouldn't say because like Shin was definitely the most intuitive, but I, there, there's definitely an element of that for me as well. And <clears throat> I just, I like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to express my personality and skill set as a coach. I feel like you need to just mm. crunch some numbers and just do some shit that I, I didn't really enjoy at all. Um, so there was an element of that as well. And being remote. Um, yeah. If you, if you're not working, full-time in the same house, having important discussions, you know, face-to-face -face convos and really working towards a common goal. It's like, all right, this is just a part-time job. And that's not, I, if I would do something, I want to go hundred percent at it. So I was always looking for um, my re-entry into OPL, especially when all of the players started getting picked up onto international teams. So then I was like, shit, man, what are you doing? Like, if you just stayed full time, you could have been overseas by now. And then I've been in this like awkward um, dilemma of like, finished a degree, all in to league as soon as humanly possible. And it's like, fuck, now it's just, I, I need to finish my degree and it's my last semester. And then I'll try to make up for lost time. So that's where I've, where I am at the moment. And it's not, it's not been a smooth journey since 2018. Going back to your coaching career quickly, Andy, um, obviously Curtis I coaches ourselves. Is there anything you, you really surprised you when you started coaching like these places and you were outside of the, the whole team, like you weren't actually on the rift, like making the shot calls and stuff like that. Is there anything that surprised you? Um, I would say some of my weaknesses really started to shine through. I was a player that I felt knew what was high pressuring or favorable game states, but I couldn't explain it. I just could not go 
you know, point by point exactly why this is better than another. I just knew it. I felt it. And trying to explain that to other players who are, um, you know, they, they, they have their own views of the game, right? And maybe they've just come off a loss and they're a bit, like, more hostile or, like, they don't really want to listen to it. Like, all I'm saying is, you should do this. And they're like, why? And then I'm like, fuck, man, I don't know. Just do it. And then they're like, no. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I don't know, man. And it's like yeah. major communication or, like, game knowledge. Uh, I don't know. It was just really frustrating. But it, it did help a lot that the players respected me, um, as a person or a, or a player or they, they respect to my game knowledge or whatever so that I could say some things and they would just like trust me with it. But yeah, that, that's, that was always a big frustration. And then I get, I get really angry at myself for not being able to explain why they should do something. Yet. Yeah. So, so when you actually specifically watched other support players, what did you see? differently can when you were comparatively to when you were playing even even now when you play um yeah what are the differences i would i would get like i would have um quite a few emotional reactions i would i would be really angry or i wouldn't like express it to them just when i'm watching the games i'd be really angry that they're not pressuring the map as much as they should have like they're just afking they're they're not like looking for windows to roam they're they're just it just looks like they're a passenger, you know, and that's not the way to bring about results. Um, so I, I tried to, um, you know, help put some of my strengths into their gameplay. Uh, obviously, I'm not a perfect player, but I know some things that they could have done better. And I tried to help them with that. Um, but, yeah, there, there was a stage there... That, that I reached that I felt like they, they, they had limitations. There's only so much that me constantly saying, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this better. Like, it's not the specifics that they need to understand. It's the, the driving force behind it that they need to adopt so that they can apply that approach or, like, skill set to all situations. If that makes sense. Like, it doesn't mm. matter it's like a mentality. if I say... It's like mentality Yeah, it's, it's a mentality. Why? And it's so hard to teach a mentality. And there are so many unique situations in the league that it's pointless me just going one by one, do this, do this. It's like, no, approach the game differently. Change who you are. And it's like, fuck, man. What? <laughs> I can't. Like, how do I bring about you, results? You how do I explained, Andy, you know, you loved cricket and the whole small wins <laughs> and like small yeah, mindset. Yeah. Like, is yeah. that not a mentality yeah. mindset that you could get across? Like, that's an analogy um, you could use. Small victories, yeah. Small victories, yeah. Um, that 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 is something that I could have gotten across. I think, especially if I was in the gaming house full time, um, constantly having discussions with people. But it felt like either the the window for change was too short in a League of Legends year mm. that I felt like people understood what I was saying and they were on board, but okay, Needed they're time. not doing it and it's not mm. them yet. So that was another frustration. I wasn't like frustrated at them. I was frustrated at my inability to produce change and the like constraints on 
being a coach. So pretty much I felt like being a coach was useless and being a player was a thousand times more impact. So how would you recommend, say, say, let's just say um, a player would have come to you nowadays, say an aspiring pro player, 15-year-old kid, um, maybe was a big fan of you, watched a lot of your gameplay, whatever it was. And he asked, maybe he asked a question specifically about how would you, how would I find my own identity as a player? Um, how would I, how do I, how would I go about, because I get this question all the time. I don't know about you, Nathan. I get questions like, I just don't know. First of all, I don't know what champs I like. I don't know the way I like to play the game. I feel like I'm just following everyone else, that sort of thing. How would you develop that, that sort of, uh, what, what advice would you give to that? Because I feel like that is the crux of developing self-confidence. Because I, I, feel, I feel like if you can't trudge that own path by yourself or begin it by yourself, you're, kind of, you're just going to go around in circles. What would you say to a young kid, aspiring pro player? To find their own identity. Find their own identity, um, yeah. Because so, so, you did it in your own way, but how would you... Because that's a question I get interested to hear your response. Yeah, that, that's something that I would be able to answer by actions and I would really suck at explaining. So that's probably why I shouldn't be a coach. But um, I would say how to find your own identity. I think it just comes from like a deep understanding of like, first of all, who you are, like what your personality is, um, what you're drawn to. It, it comes a lot of out of game, in my opinion. You really need to understand your strengths and weaknesses as a person first. And then it's really broad, but like if you apply your personality into the game and you really know who you are, then when you're in game and you're playing who you are, certain champs will become more and less appealing, certain play styles, certain items even. And just having clear it just sounds like i'm saying have a clear identity to have a clear identity yeah no but, i know what you mean yeah, um, yeah. just have a clear knowing... identity <laughs> well you well, kind of got, it's, it seems like the way you're, what you're trying to say is you you listen to your emotions or listen to the way you feel and then you just you kind of just test a lot of the things to see what feels best for you so it's kind yeah. of like uh try all the champs which one clicks and then kind of it's just you're saying it's very intuitive, very feel oriented. Yeah, you should have a feeling of how you think the game should be approached, um, how you approach the game, how you approach situations in the game, and what champions, what items, what game states produce that feeling, and then you can kind of go from there. I love, so if you're I love very... how you talk about items. It's like an item. <laughs> you can yeah, have a you chair. Can, you can have... items. <laughs> items have personality man. they straight up do so what's your item of choice if you were to pick one item in the store that encapsulates cupcake what's that item uh, uh no, no 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 it's not like one item fits all i, yeah. I would say I, I would say dead man's on like bad though that's yeah. that's pretty nice mm. but that's a personality <laughs> the roaming around the unkillable <laughs> well it's like are you, are you the type of player to build redemption first every single game state? Or are you the type of player who likes roaming? So you go dead man's. So are you the type of player who likes, you know, setting up or, or damage or something? So 
yeah. it's just like your personality just, you know, encroaches onto all aspects of your life and gaming as well. And if you recognize it, then that, that'll help a lot, in my opinion. It's probably a bit strange advice, but um, mm. yeah, just understanding who you are and what you want to do in the game will help a lot. And if you're not constantly following other people just for the sake of following them, it's, it's very good to um, get information from outside sources. You don't want to just be a closed system and like, I know everything. I'm the best. It's like you, you are open to information, but you integrate it into your own personality and to your own understanding. You don't have like a emotional reaction to watching a pro play. You're like, Oh shit, he's so good. I want to be him. I want to do everything like him. It's like, copy oh, he did this. He yeah. It's like, Oh, he did this. Well, I can do that. Well, Oh, this other player did this. Well, I could do that. And then, Oh, I do this well. I'll keep doing that. And then you just keep on building onto your own identity. It's not like an overnight thing. You're like, oh, I'm a bad bunch of, you know? It's like yeah, constant struggling process, I would say. Andy, now, how are there so many OS players in the LCS? What's your take on that? <clears throat> Is that is this is this a wave that is only going to be one wave and then um, we're not going to really have any more uh, imported? Because Curtis and I have had this discussion on the podcast before where we think that there's been a certain era, again, your era, around like that 2017, 2018, when all the whole gaming houses and stuff happened, is that that's when the O-Scene had the most investment and where we actually did mm-hmm. all those Korean boot camps and we went internationally. I mean, I guess you can't say it's, it's like, yeah, we, we find like we went internationally more with like Rift Rivals and stuff. Those set of players have had more development that allows them to be better than Academy players or the, the NA residents. And then uh, that wave, that infrastructure for OS is not there anymore. Is it like a wave thing? Is it, I mean, I guess there's sort of two questions there. Is, is this, was it just one wave that has gone over and will go over there? Or, and the other second question is, is, I mean, why do you think, why is there so many O's players with starting LCS spots over NA players? When our solo queue is so bad, <clears throat> how does that make sense? Yeah, this is quite a complex issue, I'd say. Um, there is a lot of talent in O's, or there, there has been. And it's good that they get opportunities, and I know that they will perform in NA. Um, I also think there's a lot of talent in other small regions just by default. I, I, I don't know. I don't watch intimately Turkish or Brazil or Russian or whatever scenes, but I think it helps that we're a fully English-speaking region and knowing people and having connections in the States like helps you to get the opportunities that um, you can actually perform with. So, yeah... I, I would say the the level of O solo queue is not high, but there are players and personalities that if you were to put them in a different environment, they would thrive in a more competitive environment. So it's like you, you can you can be shit in O's, but once you leave to a, a different region with a higher skill cap, you'll you'll be good there. And I think that's like a, a talent and a personality thing. Um so yeah, in terms of the, the waves thing. I don't necessarily 
think it was just 2017, 2018, and now OS is gone, although it does hurt that the competitive infrastructure has taken a massive hit, not being full-time um, scrimming and gaming houses and everything. So that sucks, but there still will be upcoming talent and th there still will be players that will perform overseas in NA. But there's, it's, it's a massive help that OS was given such a... Um, such a good opportunity being counted as NA residents. Um, not really sure why that's we have that over other minor regions, but that means that we don't take up an import slot anymore, right? So that's really handy as well. And it's just, in terms of like performing overseas and in the LCS, uh, I don't really, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but like, moving overseas and it's just like fully moving changing your whole life and like your direction is now like completely shifted it's like you have this new level of motivation to other players potentially from that region that just do this or have done this for a long time um but i'm not i'm still not 100 percent sure on that one well, well yeah so you think that those players and this is what i thought as well is that We've, we, we've always had nothing, Os, is that we have like this, this wanting it more than maybe NA players do. Because like, you know, they're just sitting there relaxing. You know, there's obviously lots of talented players in NA as well. But, but I mean, I guess that this is, again, I think Curtis and I have this mentality as well. It's like we're always, every, whenever we went to MSI, went to Worlds, we're like the little guys, right? We've always got something to prove, you feel like. But you, see, you, you feel that all the time. And I feel like that what are these yeah. players that have gone over there, it's like they feel like they've got a chip on their shoulder. Um, and they're just going to want it more. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's you do we feel like nothing. you're constantly you you constantly have to prove yourself. It's not like North America is all like bad and lazy. It's like minor regions really have no respect, and you want respect, and mm. that already puts you at like a bit of a advantage. If you have your back against the wall, it's like. The only way you can go is forwards. You you got to fight your way up, right? Um, so I guess there's an element of that. I, I want to spice things up here because I know Andy. This is where you have some pretty strong opinions. Okay. Oh no. Um, competitors in League of Legends at the moment. So one of the biggest reasons I stepped away from esports because I can't stand coaching the current generation of pro players anymore. I can't do it. Um, it's one, I'm not saying it's the only reason. It's one of the reasons. Um, I would lo if everyone were maybe had a, a competitive background like you, Cupcake, and you know, um, a little bit further along in their development as an as an actual competitor, and they had that ability to. Um, I would say ability to kind of improve. That's not the right way to put it. I would say it's self awareness, a level of self awareness the coaching experience would be a lot more enjoyable to me and a lot more fulfilling. But right now it feels like I'm just a babysitter and coaching to mm. a certain extent. is like, okay, you've got five somewhat children <clears throat> and they are not incentivized to not act like children because everyone else acts like children. Yeah. So um, it's just going to stay like that. And even when you look at some of the top players in other regions, that's just the way it is. At the moment, in the current state of things right now, 
I know Thorin Nathan was referring to it earlier on. Thorin did a piece on Nemesis and why Nemesis was, it was correct me if I'm wrong, Nathan. He said like Nemesis would never be a champion. Something like that, right, Nathan? Yeah. Right. And, and, and that tweet that Nemesis made, right? This is the sort of stuff we deal with. Nemesis is viewed as one of the best players in the, in the West, right? As, as an individual mid laner, individual player. And he had a tweet that said, I don't want to join a team surrounded that isn't already good. It was something like that, right, Nathan? It was like, I don't want to join a team that isn't already the best or something like that. And that mentality of like, I only should play with good players and I'm not going to do anything to bring about that, bring about a, or step up, take control of the situation, help other people improve, um, be a leader, create a culture, develop over the long run, like you would see in a lot of other sports. You don't just see a player who's never won a single championship. The Nemesis hasn't won a single championship, right? He hasn't even... He hasn't done anything. He achieved anything. And he's just gone... He went to Worlds. I, he went to Worlds. Okay, he went to year, Worlds, right? But like... They did all right. Fnatic did all right. Did they win that year? They, no, no, They, they, they the quarterfinals. Quarterfinals. No, but in their region. Yes, yeah. They came second, I'm pretty sure. They came second. Yeah. It was G2 Fnatic, then Mad Lions. Right. Yeah. So, still, he hasn't really achieved much. And then you got like... Then you look at the last days, you look at Michael Jordan, one of the best rookie talents ever. And then he like get, builds with, what, they, they don't win for ages. They didn't win a single eight thing years. for ages. Yeah. It was eight years, right? Yeah, something like eight, nine years, yeah. And he builds, and then you build, and he you build. He was the best player on the team build. for eight, eight, eight years. And then the, just slow, the pieces just slowly chipped away and came around him, around two against so the championship winning roster. So, so what I'm saying here is that the current state of the, the ecosystem in terms of pro players is disgusting. I'm going to go right there and look. Mm-hmm. It's, it's disgusting. I look at the way pro players act. Like, and look, at the end of the day, they're young kids. But, like, the, it's it's the fact that orgs don't give a shit. There's no standard set by the org. You've got players from, you know, so we have teams like Peace and all these, these players that are quote-unquote pro players. They act like two-year-olds and they're representing yeah. an organization. They're not incentivized. They're not punished, nothing. There's no threat of the bench like there would be in other other sports, like you going over and playing tennis, you have a standard. You have a, a mm. standard to hold to. Um, how do you wrestle with this? Because you're you're a little bit different. You're like we said, you're on the outside. You're not in that niche circle, the clique uh, social not. circle. Yeah. And has this something that's really crossed your mind during wanting to continue playing it in <clears throat> the pro level? It it hasn't impacted like if I should continue playing. That's, I'm going to continue playing. That's what I do. But I'm with you in that I think they're just like general behavior is deplorable and they're, they're supposed to be role models and they're not. And it makes me really depressed sometimes when I think about it. And that's why I I don't have my full life, like social life, spare time, everything invested into league. It's like I do that and I do it as best as I can, but I have my friends or I have like other hobbies or something that I can just escape for a little bit. And if I was trapped in that world the whole time, I would go insane. Um, so it does affect me. And I really wish that I could share mutual respect with my fellow colleagues, but I can't and it's, it's pretty sad. And I don't think it's necessarily just 
this year or like the last year, although it is getting worse. I think just the general standard is just completely non-existent. And the, that nemesis situation that you brought up, personalities like that would get weeded out instantly in more uh, competitive um, structures. Traditional sports. There would just be 200s in the world, whereas people who just adopt and embrace challenge and responsibility continuously, they'll just shine above. So you wouldn't even have to read shit like that. So there's, yeah, there is a lack of um, challenge. And how can the, this happen though? Yeah. But how can, this is what we're confused. This is what I, I really dislike as well about league specifically in the pro scene is like, like you said, in other traditional sports, you get weeded out so fast. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you want to be play basketball, you, you have to play from an incredibly young age they're ultra competitive from 10 mm-hmm. years old, eight, 10 years old, ultra competitive coaching staff's amazing to even get remotely close to even college basketball. You're already surrounded by elite performers, elite coaching staff. You're held to an insane standard, an insane schedule. Yeah. Um, you know, you just, that personality just is so far gone. They, they're done by yeah. the time they're 12. So if so you're lazy or like whatsoever. Yeah, if you if you're lazy or delusional, like you'll just get weeded out. Like when you told me that Nemesis tweet, that just reeked of laziness. Like, put me on the best team, and then I'll be on the best team. Like, I don't have to work for it. I don't have to prove anything. I don't like. It's just so lazy. And then you'll have a lot of players that like are delusional, and in other structures, like that delusion will get outshone by people who are like harder working or like have more self-awareness or something and it just doesn't really happen in esports and honestly it's a bit it's a bit sad i thought like there there are a lot of players that play and i thought that maybe those um approaches to to league and improvement would get weeded out by people who are more competitive or emotionally mature and intelligent but maybe it's just something that gamers in general um (laughs) they don't have well, again, it, it, it's, it's the of... pathway. It's the pathway. That's why it's different with you, Andy, is that you came from a very disciplined, structured world, the whole tennis scholarship. You had to perform, otherwise you're getting mm. kicked out, okay? Mm. In League of Legends, you don't have that because if you are the best players um, right now at an organization and you're 17, 18 year old, they'll, they'll pick you up. I mean, they'll have to because there's just no one better, really. And there's right. no develop- the, the solo queue comes in. Solo queue is the development organizations don't develop players it's solo queue mm-hmm. and like i mean i guess sort of scrims in a way um it's a time <clears throat> thing because we've talked about this before we understand why it happens because right now 25 year old players they're not as good as 18 19 year old players and that is a fact yeah so so players either are getting burnt out okay you know uh there is like that invisible narrative where it's like you become less of a mechanical player um and players just get weeded out of the scene. I mean, even players like, you know, people like Broxer and stuff, like his career is sort of on the down now. Would you agree? But he's one of the more older, like people like him, I would say, put that into the situation. Like Jono's spoken very highly of Broxer, right? But at the end of the day, he's probably not going to be on a top winning team ever again. Okay. So yep. the only players that are like left that I sort of see is, I think Core JJ is a great example. I just looked up his age. He's 27 years old. He's ranked two on the solo queue ladder. He's been on the top team for a very long time. He, I think mm. he's married. I think he's he's married. Like he's got his life all sorted in North America. Mm. But how many core JJs do you have in 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 the league? The in, in all regions in the world, yeah. right? <clears throat> very few. 
So it's not yeah. until the players that are that that are the best are, I'd say, have had that time to grow and develop and understand the whole team aspect. The the best players must be between the ages of you know twenty seven plus um, until that's the only way we'll get to the, where Curtis is if, if, utopia of of League of Legends where he can actually coach those players. Well, that's and then obviously, and then obviously yeah. you've got the nineteen and twenty year old players that are inserted in between it. But right now it's like. All right, let's get the next 18, 19, 20-year-old. Let's get the next mm. one. Let's get the next one. And it's just the, yeah. and the 25-year-olds, they're all gone. <clears throat> so, so it's not possible right now, given that there is the general thing that league careers are very short right now. Yeah. I will say it's important to note that, like, in every sport or, like, any competitive endeavor, there will be people that don't have a good approach and... Um, not every tennis player has like my approach to com- competition. Um, some players obviously have it better than I do. And it's just about who's at the top and the role models. And if the professionals and the people who have big uh, impressions on Twitter, they're the ones that should be at the bottom, then that's the problem. Like with, their, with the way that they approach things. Because yeah. then like aspiring players start like adopting their behaviors and it's just like it doesn't it's not conducive to like high performance in general it just kind of it it stagnates the whole competitive scene which is an issue so i don't think everyone should suddenly be like super experienced or competitive or amazing that's just never gonna happen it's not possible but the Mm. the role models really need to step up in my opinion Mm. and then you people like bjergsen gone yeah bjergsen retiring is actually such a it actually pisses me off (laughs) <laughs> it actually really pisses me off. He had such a great opportunity to set the precedent of like what the future league player could look like. Because speaking from experience, Andy, I don't know if I, I told you this, but I am now at least two times better mechanically than I have ever been in my league career. When I was even when I was seventeen, eighteen, and playing pro. Mm. And what's interesting is I, I broke this narrative. Right? The narrative I had in my mind and a lot, a lot, of, a lot of older players is like, you get worse with time. You're older, the, the, the game, the old gamer hands, you know, like you're just kind of screwed. And yeah. I, I set a challenge for myself. I'm like, I'm going to break down how to get better at the game micro-wise. Because what happened, I started getting gapped really hard mechanically by people in mid lane. I couldn't compete. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have a huge focus on my micro specifically. And I got way better. I developed a toolkit to get better mechanically and I'm, I'm way better than I've ever been. And I can, I'm mechanically on the same level, if not better than majority of OPL players. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I'm, I'm upset that players like Bjergsen, for example, haven't set the scene to say, Hey everyone, no, instead of getting worse with age, you can actually get better because now you have the emotional intelligence you have the you have the identity of a player down pat. You have a much more holistic view of the game. Understand the leadership and under, like the the teamwork aspect of things. You now also probably have a toolkit to be able to develop certain aspects of your play. You can actually really change and be a true role model for a long period of time to come. Like Core JJ, like yeah. you said, Core JJ is one of them. But he he's at the end of the day, he's not an American as well. Mm-hmm. Like. I think actually, to a certain extent, that does play a part in things because, like, he he's Korean. Well, Bjergsen isn't either, right? 
Right, got you. But like, I would say yeah. a Westerner is a better yeah. way of putting it. It's definitely it. closer, yeah. And um, yeah, I just I think you're spot on, Andy. But it's the lack of role models. The 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 role models really hurt, and the role models in in our region, hmm. you know, the quote unquote mm-hmm. role models are that what you got like <laughs> two. It's yeah, it's no it's come to the stage where I I just I honestly just don't use Twitter anymore. It just makes me angry and depressed. <laughs> I got it just not... six six months ago, Andy. I'm, I'm on board it, on that one. It's pretty much yeah, it's something that I don't want in my life and it's it's awkward because it's like pretty intimately linked with my career in professional gaming um Mm. so it's it's kind of stressful some ways but no i definitely agree um with the the lack of role models thing do you think that this one other thing we didn't touch on here is um tilt Mm? and and getting upset in game when you were playing a lot of solo queue, obviously, you know, I watched you play, you would get very angry. At your, but, like, you expressed anger. Like, I could see it. You'd say, you would actually talk to yourself. Like, you'd say, oh, fuck, come on, man, get your shit together. Like, you'd literally say that yeah. while you're playing. But yeah. you never typed. Hmm. I mean, like, I might be wrong, but from what I have seen, you were solo queue and just, I never saw yeah. you type. You never talk shit. You were always to yourself. Um, what do you think is the difference between why someone like you who was held yourself to such a high standard wanted mm. results was very you, you, I would say at the end of the day you I wouldn't say you're fully results oriented I would say you're definitely more process oriented but you definitely cared about the results um, yep. how were you able to wrestle with that how were you able to and, and what do you think differentiates you from someone who also cares a lot about the results so Fire was very toxic for example Mm. But because he had that intensity, same sort of intensity. How did you wrestle with that? And why did it never cross your mind? Well, I think it's just, I I place it in a box that things are inside of my control and things are outside of my control. And if I have bad teammates or if they're typing a lot or like I want them to do something, it's not in my control. And I honestly believe if I pinged and typed a lot more constructively in solo queue i would win more games but i just don't really care i i want to be good at the game and um it's it's fun playing at a high level and i don't want to constantly be like giving lessons to people and you know it's it's kind of tiring and, and pointless for me so i definitely get frustrated but it helps to be a bit more process orientated in that I'm playing to improve. And if I played 100 solo queue games, in average, all of my bad solo queue teammates will be on the enemy team the same number of times. So it's like, they're shit, we're shit, who cares? Just focus on what you can control. Um, so that, that kind of helps, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it all, look, at the end of the day, what, I'm, what I've gathered a lot from this man, and I think it, Unfortunately, a lot of this is tied back to your your experiences growing up. Nathan, what do you think here? Because I think a lot of the things unfortunately... Curtis, we always say, we always say League is a confidence-based game. I think Cupcake Andy embodies 
he embodies that he's just it, yeah. embodies that, you know. No, but the, but his confidence doesn't come from something that he learned during league. His his no. confidence is, was already set in stone. <laughs> the belief again, Andy said it many times. The skill set he believes he has a skill set to compete with the best players. I will say it definitely helped, but I. If you guys know Artic, um, he actually grew up playing tennis with me, and he he played a lot of tennis tournaments as well. Um, course, and we're, yeah. we're like very different personalities, so it, it did help. But um, I, I I do believe that it's who I am and the process of like reflecting and being who I want to be. I, I wouldn't say I I am who I am and I've achieved what I have just because I've played tennis. It's there, there's a lot more to that, but it definitely has played a part. Got you. Mm. So Nathan, was there anything else you wanted to cover here? I've, I think I've, I've, covered, covered, I've covered everything. I was just supposed to get into the bore mentality. So I think Andy covered that really well. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I want a lot. I want our BBC listeners to have that bore mentality going into solo queue. That's that's how we're gonna take control. This is my river. This is my bush. This yeah. is my jungle. This is my it's... lane. You're on the rift <laughs> yeah. with me. You're in my arena. I love that. It's the only way to approach just anything. If you if you want results, you have to. You know, attack it aggressively. Yeah, you have to be really proactive and you have to make sure that it happens. And this can be, it sounds stupid, but it can be for anything in life. Let's say you are looking for a flat with your friends and like one personality type will be like, oh, we'll we'll see what happens. Maybe one will pop up. Oh, have you checked one out? No. And then another personality type will, will like go actively to specific flats and be like, this is what I want. Do you want this? What do you guys want? And then they'll be constantly searching for it and making sure that they take like full control of the, of the outcome. And if you take full control of the outcome, then that's the best long term predictor of success. If you are the X factor, if you make things happen, you don't have to rely on other things and you're the constant in every equation. So, yeah. Excellent. I think that's a great way to wrap up. Oh, so I, gonna, I think one last thing to wrap it on, up. Curtis. Yeah. Are there any people that you want to shout out in terms of who inspired you along the way or books you've read, people that you've looked up to, mm. to, to shape your view on life? And um, honestly, I would say I really valued a lot of our convos, Curtis. And I still have flashbacks of when you were trying to give me feedback and I was just a stubborn asshole. And then afterwards, you were like, I just had to tank it. I just had to put up with it because I knew that you weren't going to budge. I'm, then I, I always reflect on that like, shit, man. I was like, I always try to avoid like giving that off now. Um, and there were a lot more situations um, that I think just your like emotional maturity and just like being a, a decent person really helped shape me for sure. Um, and I would say with King, we have we're, like we have a lot of history. We went back to like 2016 solo key. That's how I even got into the competitive scene is because he he noticed me and um, he respected me and I respected him. And yeah, so those I know Kings is the current ADK for Cloud Nine Academy. Yep, and I think if it wasn't for him, I would have had to potentially just work my way up. And that's I believe that's what I deserve to do. I should have I deserve to start at the bottom and prove myself, but because of him noticing me, I just got to start at the top, which was just really cool for me and lucky. And 
um, yeah, it's, it's been awesome to, to play with him and, and talk with him because he, he helped me develop certain skills for myself yeah. and I helped develop skills for him. And yeah, he would definitely be a, a good shout out for me as well. I really appreciate that, Andy, man. And um, I mean, it goes both ways. I think you had a huge influence on my view of the game. I think when I when I think back on players who really shaped my philosophy on the game and just improvement and um, what it takes to be the best was just you and I would say you and Ch- I mean all of those players like in certain ways you know even Ch- you know Chippies in certain ways King in certain ways all these players in certain ways but definitely you and Shern were up there um, and if we can have more players like you in the pro scene then who knows then maybe maybe one day <laughs> make it make a, a guest appearance yeah. Looking forward to it, man. Great. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Episode 49 of the Broken by Concept podcast. Again, thanks, Cupcake Andy, for coming on. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me.